tongue. And you know what I'm going to say, we are a family. So please feel at home with us. Um, we want family to be the centre of this house. And the love of God to be here for you. So um, it's just wonderful. It's wonderful to be together. So if you've got your Bibles, Gainey, can you just put the, uh, the title up of the preach? I'm going to preach this morning. What else could I not preach on? The power of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, if you've got your Bibles or your phones, we're going to be reading from a passage of Scripture in the New Testament, which is in 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 17 to uh, chapter 2, verse 5. That's 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 17 to chapter 2, verse 5. Let me just pray before I begin. Oh, Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, that we don't mourn today. Lord, we are sober and we are grateful. But, Lord, today we celebrate in our hearts that your death gave us life. Lord, we, we don't walk around in black today to remember a dead saviour. Because, Lord, you are no longer dead. But you are very much alive and well. And you are seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, interceding for us before the Father. And you'll do that until that wonderful day when the clouds part and just as you ascended to heaven, all those centuries ago, you will return. This time, as the conquering king, the saviour of the world, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Lord, I pray now, Holy Spirit, will you just descend Thank you for your indwelling in our lives. But I just pray for your presence to be in this place today. And to speak to every heart. To encourage us, to remind us of the glory of the cross. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. Here we go. For Christ did not send me to baptise but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. Dave, could you just knock the sound down a little bit on the thanks, thanks, mate. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish? 
the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. Who became to us wisdom from God. Righteousness and sanctification, redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And, when I, and I, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So much in that passage. But one verse I really want to pick out is just found in that second chapter, verse 2. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. These are the words of the Apostle Paul, who before he was Paul, was known as Saul, who was a rampant Pharisee, who was absolutely committed to Judaism and was going around destroying Christians and the church until he had his encounter with the living God. Did you see what he said? He was comparing wisdom. You see, Paul was a very wise man by worldly standards. He said he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He trained under a man called Gamaliel who was a very chief teacher at the time. So he knew Judaism inside out. He was a clever guy. In fact, in Philippians, you can read how he says, I was, I was doing so well in my own standing. And then God met him 
on that road and transformed it. And you see, what he's saying here is, he said, I don't want to know anything else other than Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I don't want to speak anything else. Now, we speak lots of things from this pulpit. But my desire is everyone who stands before this pulpit and speaks to you honours, first and foremost, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the reason we're here. This is not a lecture or a self-help group or a pep talk on how to have a better life. This is a place where we tell every man and woman, every boy and girl, that you're born in this world with a problem of sin. And we're not here to patch ourselves up, to make ourselves better. Can't do it in our own strength. But we're here to preach Jesus Christ and Him alone. So, in an introduction, I've got to be quick, haven't I? It's 5 to 12, goodness me. We're supposed to be finishing at 12, folks. Sorry about this. But in the summer, do you remember the lockdown time? Does anyone remember that summer? Like, it was March, lockdown came. And I had kind of finished my previous life in my other job. <laughs> and was looking forward to a, a number of months going on the mountains and having great times. And we were locked down, weren't we, for, for a long time. You go up an hour a day, was it? Something like that. I don't know what it um, was like for you. But really, it was, a, it was a hard time, but it was a good time for me. Because I drew aside. I learned what it was to be still again, walk and enjoy. And that summer, we went away to Wales. Anyone been on holiday to Wales? What happens when you go to Wales? It rains. It rains. In fact, we're going for five days this week, aren't we, love, from tomorrow? And Kath says, the way here, 80% rain. All week, every day. But that, that year, we went to Tenby. I've never been to Tenby before. And we went, and it rained every day, all day. I kid you not. All week, two weeks. Two weeks. And we decided on one day, my kids, they have to put up a lot of crazy stuff. I said, come on, guys. We're going on a revival tour today. Because how many people know Wales is famous for what? Revival. 1904. A huge move of God hit that nation. Thousands swept into the kingdom of God. I love revival. So we've decided to look round and we weren't far from, anyone heard of a place called Newcastle Emlyn? Anyone heard of it? Not Newcastle where all the Geordies from, Newcastle Emlyn. It's a, how can I say it? Yeah, it's a little place, village. You wouldn't, you drive past it, you'd little, little pop Pop on so it's quite famous in revival stories. Because have you heard of Evan Roberts? Yeah. Well, Evan Roberts stayed there before the revival. There was a little Bible college there. And he went there for a while. And he stayed in the home of the in-laws of one of my historical heroes. Has anyone heard me ever mention Martin Lloyd-Jones? <laughs> you have, maybe. Martin Lloyd-Jones is probably one of my favorite preachers. He went to be with the Lord in 1981. Man, he was a God, man of the word. And really quickly, I want to tell you about him, because it does have a bearing on what we're saying. Martin Lloyd-Jones came from a nowhere back place in, in Wales. 
and went and became a doctor. Found God, became a doctor, and was in Harley Street in London. Now, if you know about Harley Street, that's where the specialists go. And he, he, he was tutored under a guy called Lord Horder. Lord Horder was the surgeon to the royal family. And Lloyd-Jones was a trainee doctor and was going around with Horder. And one day they diagnosed the patient. And everyone got it wrong apart from Lloyd-Jones, only a young guy. He diagnosed his patient and Horder took note of him and said, come under my wing. And he was, he was destined to be the next surgeon to the royal family. But guess what? God had other plans. And God called him. And everybody said, Martin Lloyd, go and be a missionary. With your medical knowledge, you'd be fantastic in Africa or wherever. And he said, no. I'm called to preach. He said, because such is the preaching in our nation. It is in such a dire condition that I'm called to preach God's word. I'm called to preach the Bible. And with that, he went from the accolades of London, the high life in the medical world, to Port Talbot in South Wales. Now, if you've been to Port Talbot, steelworks, industry, and he went to be the pastor of a small evangelical church called Sandfields. No one there, hardly. And he began to preach the Bible. And it, was only, it wasn't too long before people just began to come under the conviction of God from hearing the Bible preached that they're a sinner born in sin, destined for a lost eternity and eternal punishment. And he began to say, no, there's another way. There's a saviour. You don't have to patch yourself up. He came. Died on the tree for you and me. And he just preached the word of God. He wasn't preaching motivational messages. And the place was packed before long. And you can read about Lloyd-Jones. Became a great, well-known evangelical preacher. Went all over the world. His books are famous today. His teachings, you can still get them on the MLJ Trust website. If you want to whet your appetite. And believe me, when you hear him, you'll hear this deep voice. And, but listen to it if you get a chance. It'll transform you. Great preacher. And the reason why are you talking about Martin Lloyd-Jones? Because on that day on the revival trip, I wanted to find out where he was buried. Now, I'm not weird like that. I just wanted to, I wanted to go. So we drove past this little cemetery that you'd blink and miss on the way into Newcastle Emlyn. And we parked the car and I went in and started hunting around. Gainey, can you put that slide up, please? Now, this guy was a world-famous preacher. You'd expect, look at that, just a little gravestone. Like you see any other gravestone. But this guy was a giant in God. But can you see what it says? The beloved doctor, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. What will they write on your gravestone? What will they write on your gravestone? And this morning, I just wanted to look briefly at the cross. The power of the blood of Jesus Christ. We've been singing about it today. 
the power of the blood. See, the blood of Christ is the thing that washes away your sin. Not your efforts. Some tradesmen were at our house this week. You know what's going to come. <laughs> we had a little chat. And they knew, they knew nothing. Do you know the story of Jesus today is unknown? I said to them, I said, you know, I said, it's interesting what you're saying about Jesus. I said, well, you know, if there was another way to get right, you could have done it yourself. Let me find the instructions how to make myself right. Oh, here's a list. Right? Anyone ever tried the religious list? Anyone been there? You know, oh, I've done that. I've done that, I've done that, I've done that. Now then, how do I stand? I wonder if my, I wonder if my good is tipping over. That's not it. That's not the gospel. Then my good, have I done enough good? See, if it was about that, if we could do it, Jesus came for nothing. But no, we couldn't do it. Because we're tarnished through sin. But the blood of Christ is the thing that sets us free from sin and death and hell. And if you believe that, and if you get hold of that today, you'll be the freest person on the earth. I want to remind you Christians, remember who you are. Paul said in that verse at the start we read there, in verse 16, is it? 18, I need some new glasses. For the word of the cross is, what does it say? Folly to those who are perishing. Anyone ever said, oh, what are you talking about? Cross makes no sense. No, it doesn't, does it? Think about it. The God of the universe who flung the stars into space, the eternal word, Jesus, he became Jesus when he took on flesh. He was always there. He was the eternal word in heaven. There at the creation. That he would take on a body, live a life as a servant, the God of the universe, that is, and then be crucified on a piece of wood to be the saviour. Does that make sense? No. Makes no sense whatsoever to the human mind. It's foolishness. But look what Paul says. To us who are being saved, it's the power of God. I want to tell you, you were saved. If you're a Christian this morning, if you've asked Jesus to forgive you, God to forgive you of your sins through Jesus, you've really done that from the heart. I want to tell you, no matter what the devil's trying to whisper in your ear, you're saved. Forever. You really are. It's a done deal. Paid in full. Finished. Look that sinking. If that's you, through the power of the cross, you've been saved. You have been. There was a day in your life, maybe you were in a meeting, your hand went up. Or maybe you're reading the Bible and you just, oh, something happened. It doesn't matter how it happened, really. There isn't, a, there isn't a formula, really. We've kind of made it a bit like that. Have you ever been in one of those meetings where, close your eyes, is there anyone? And they, I'm not knocking that, that's okay. That's a, if people do that, that's great. But it may have been that when you came to Christ, 
But it may have been out one day on a walk. You've about to feel something. God, are you real? Maybe your journey started. Once you're saved, you're saved. We were saved. One day we were saved. But also, we are being saved. Well, hang on a minute. doesn't make sense. We, you, we're saved, but we're being saved. We are being saved every day because you're growing. You're changing. It's a big word in Christian service. It's called sanctification. Have you heard of that word? What Christians do, though, is they think, when they sin today, because how many people have still sinned? Anyone, anyone sinned this week? Is it just me who's had a son? <laughs> anyone sinned in the last 24 hours? The problem with what Christians do, what lovers do, is we sin and we think, well, I'm out of favour now. I'll have to do something to get back in. And you go around a bit moping. Now look, if you sinned, you need to repent. And if you sinned against someone, you need to go and apologise to them and say, I'm sorry, I've sinned against you, will you forgive me? Lord, will you forgive me? Yes, now get back up and go on. Because that paid the price. But a lot of Christians get just, that was, that was when you were just, if you were made right legally. But lots of Christians think, well, I need to try and make myself right now. No, it's a done deal. You're being saved, but you are being changed. And guess what? One day, when Jesus appears, we will be saved. So it's past, present, future. We have been saved. You've been saved, you're saved. But the power of the blood. What's to say? I've got to go quick. The blood of Christ is the one thing that achieves our salvation, as we said. But to the to the Greek mind. You see, in that world, there were Greeks in the main, that was non-Jews, and Jews. Now, we're all quite Greek, do you know. Do you feel like a Greek this morning? What I mean to say you're Greek is the, the, the culture we live is in is a, is a mind culture. It's materialism. We think about everything. We need a reason for everything. Anyone ever said to you, I won't believe it till I see it? That's Greek thinking. Tell me, tell me more. I want to know things before I decide. That's a good thing. to. It's good to ask questions. But it's a Greek way of thinking. So it says to the Greek, the cross is foolishness. The Greek word is a word called Mariah. Not Mariah Curry. Mariah. But it's the root word of what we say moron. You ever heard that? We don't say it today, do you? You ever heard that when you're at school? Get called a moron. I did. But a moron means... You know, it's foolish. What, it's, that, that's the root word of that. It doesn't make sense. It's moronic. It doesn't make sense to my mind, my Greek mind. I have to think. See, in Corinth, they love to sit around and debate. They would talk for hours. You watch Question Time? They have like a six-hour version of Question Time on a Thursday night. They love to ask questions. And it's good to question things. But you can't just keep asking questions. You've got to, you've got to make a decision. So the cross was foolishness to a Greek man. And it says it's a stumbling block. Stumbling block. Look at that. In verse 29, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews. 
Folly, the Gentiles. What was a stumbling block? You ever stumble over anything? It was a stumbling block. Because in Deuteronomy, back in the Old Testament, do you know what it says about a tree? Anyone know what it says? Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. What an interesting thought. Deuteronomy 21, verses 22-23. If a man has committed a crime, this is Deuteronomy back in the Old Covenant, punishable by death, he is to be put to death. And if you, and you, hang, if you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man on a tree is cursed by God. So, when you try and talk to a Jewish mind about a saviour who's nailed to a piece of wood, it makes no sense. It's a stumbling block. In fact, the Greek word for the stumbling block there is scandalon. A scandal. Doesn't make any sense. Again, can't get my head around it. See, Jews were waiting for a deliverer. They were waiting for a king who was going to come, kick Rome out. A political revolutionary. Even after the re resurrection, the disciples said, uh, is it now you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus said, you don't need to know those dates. You're going to get the power of the Holy Spirit on you in a minute. And let me just add, you're a Christian, you need the power of the Holy Spirit on your life to live it. He's in you when you, got, when you came to Christ, the Holy Spirit sparked you alive. But you need his power to live every day. Or otherwise you kind of Bumbling around on your own. But the cross, it's a foolish message to the world. But the cross alone achieved our salvation. The blood of the cross. Now here's a, here's a tricky one. How many people believe God is a God of what? Love and mercy. Yeah, I love it. He's a God of love and mercy. But do you know what else? What else is he? He's a God of what? Peace. Peace? Who said that? Peace. Justice. Peace. So he's a God of love. God so what? Love the world. Loves us so much, more than we'll ever know. But guess what? He's a God of justice. I remember one of my kids saying to me around the dinner table one night, if God's so loving, Dad, why can't he let everyone off? Anyone ever said that to you? Why can't you just let him off? It's because he's a God of justice. When Adam sinned, in that garden, someone had to put it right. Because God's holiness demanded it. See, if you can, I'm looking at Chris with his white shirt on. A white, imagine God's white, he's so white. He's so holy. He lives in perfection. Sin can't be anywhere near him. So something had to be done. Do you remember all the way through the Old Testament they were killing lambs? Because you see, only blood. 
Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So all the lambs of the Old Testament, all the sacrifice, all that Old Covenant, it was temporary. It was a bit of a patch-up job for Israel to keep them going until, until the Saviour was coming. Terry read about him this morning. 740 years before he was born, he will be pierced for our transgressions. Please, God, to crush him. What on earth? Is this right? Please, God, to crush him. Do you know why? Because somebody had to be crushed for our sin. And he was looking at the other side of the cross. Someone preached the other week and said, we live the other side of the Glen. We live the other side of the cross. But somebody had to take the rap. It was perfect. Sin free. Jesus Christ. He came. And there's a big word, theological word, called, anyone heard of this word? Propitiation. You won't hear it today. It's not around today. And what it means, let me read this to you. Romans 3, 24, and then we're going to finish, I think. You'll know this. Verse 23 of Romans. I'll read it to you. For all have what? How many? But what about me? I'm not a sinner. My dad, when he was an Anglican vicar, he used to preach about sin and the Saviour. And he had these people come to him, been in the church, been in the, the 70s and their 80s, he said, how dare you call me a sinner? Sinner? I've been coming here since I was knee-high to a grasshopper. They were scousers, so they didn't talk like that. But you know what I mean. You call me a sinner? See, we think we're doing, when we look at someone who's kind of, I don't know, done something really bad, we think, oh, now he's a sinner. I'm pretty good, actually. I think I'm all right. Builder was saying to me the other day, I think I'm all right, really. I said, oh dear. What's your standard? Well, my standard's this. Do you know what God's standard is? Perfection. Only one's done it. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now listen, are justified. That means made right legally by God's grace as a, as a gift. Ooh, anyone like gifts? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as our propiti <laughs> propitiation, there you go, by blood, by his blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. See, he's righteous and loving. Righteous, loving, both. We're not into a mushy old, yes, oh, I just love round. It's nice. We all we love each other in this house. But God's a righteous God. He's a righteous God. And propitiation means it was the taking away of God's wrath. The anger of God at sin. He hates sin. And what did Jesus cry out from the cross? My God! My God, why have you forsaken me? See, in that moment, in that period, 
when the sky went black, because many were crucified, this was the Son of God, perfect Lamb of God. When he was crucified, everything changed. It was a dark moment. The Father turned his head away from Jesus. As the sins, all your sin, all the things you've ever, ever thought and done, were piled onto Jesus. Yours, mine, everybody's sin. Everybody who's ever lived their sin that they've done wrong put onto the Messiah. It wasn't just a physical death. There was a spiritual thing going on. But that death satisfied the Holy God. Do you know what Jesus cried from the cross? Before he gave up his spirit, it is finished. That's what it means on the top of there. It's paid in full. It's done. And in the temple, that holy place in Jerusalem, you know, we can come in here this morning and you may sense the presence of God when you come as a, you know, what, what is that? See, the presence of God is here. He's in people now. He's in us if we're Christians. He lives in us, the Holy Spirit. But at the moment, when Jesus said, it is finished, there was a massive curtain that kept the holy place. You ever been to an Anglican? When you go to Anglican, I mean, I was brought up in Anglican. It's a bit set up like the old thing, isn't it? The priests up doing the bits. The holy clergy. You know, really, it's not in there. It's not meant to be like that. There's not meant to be a, a place that's sacred where you you come and bow down. It isn't, that's not how it's meant to be anymore. It's a throwback, really, from the, t from the temple. See, in the temple, the priest could only go into that spe special place once a year on the Day of Atonement. He took blood in. You only do it once a year. And at the moment Jesus died, that curtain, it was really thick split from top to bottom. It wasn't someone cutting with scissors trying to get in. God opened the way. Power of the blood. Opened the way for us to enter the presence of God forever. I'm going to stop. But that, folks, is why we preach. We're not going to preach clever things particularly here. We're going to preach God's word in its entirety. That's why I love MLJ, Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a Bible man, through and through. My dad gave me a love for the Bible. He was a Bible man, through and through. Sadly, today in church, it's not always the case. But I want to, well, as long as I'm here, preach God's word. You know, back, someone mentioned it, I think in the communion, I think Terry mentioned it. When Egypt, when Israel came out of Egypt, Moses kept going to see Pharaoh and saying, let us go. If you don't let us go, there's going to be something that's going to happen. 
And it came to the last time. Moses went and he said, listen, let us go. Or the firstborn is going to perish. And Israel were told, do you know what they were told to do? Sacrifice a lamb. Do you know what they were told to do? Put the blood of the lamb on where? On the doorpost. He said, when the angel sees the blood on the doorpost of Passover, that's where the word Passover comes from. It was all a prelude to that. I want to say to you, is the blood of Christ on the doorpost of your heart? Are you humble enough to say, I need a saviour? Because when the day comes and we stand before him, because we will, unless he comes back through the clouds and we're around, we may be, who knows, eh? I think it'll be soon. But if not, one day you will stand before God. And if Jesus' blood marks your life, Heaven will open to you forever. You know, it's going to be great. And I love all the things that are going to be in heaven for us. New heavens and a new earth. No more sin. All those things are great. But do you love Jesus enough? That even if I'm none of them things, it would just be you and him. Because You've got to love Jesus. He's going to be there. He's going to be the center of it all. It all flows from him. All, all, everything you've got is the goodness of God. You haven't done it yourself. He's been very gracious and kind. Even though we go through stuff, he's a very kind God. He's given you life. It doesn't matter how you got here today, but God wanted you here. He's a very gracious God. But he'll be at the center of it all. The Lord Jesus Christ and when we see him, the Bible says we will be like him. Just bow your heads.